0: Amen. God is faithful to his word. He keeps his promises to his people. He never fails us, although oftentimes we fail him, but he never, never fails us. In Ezra, the first chapter, beginning with verse one, it says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem, and whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth Let the men of his place, help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah, and Benjamin, and the priests, and the Levites, with all them, whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things, beside all that was willing, willingly offered. Also Cyrus. The king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithradath the treasurer and numbered them unto Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them. Thirty chargers of gold, a thousand chargers of silver, nine and twenty knives, thirty basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, four hundred and ten, and other vessels a thousand. All the vessels of gold and of silver were five thousand and four hundred. All these did she- Bazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto. Jerusalem father we thank you tonight for your word we ask your blessing to be upon the reading of it we thank you for the inspiration Lord that you give us to preach it and to receive it Lord God your word is anointed we thank you for the word of God tonight in Jesus name we pray amen you may be seated in the name of the Lord all right Ezra brings us to the time of restoration after the captivity Let's go over to the prophet Daniel in the ninth chapter and we will see some events that are preceding the time of restoration in the prophet Daniel. In the ninth chapter, we see that Daniel prays unto God and confesses his sin and the sin of the people which prepare for the events that we are studying. In the ninth chapter... Of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. Beginning with verse 1. As Ezra said. It was according to. The prophecy of Jeremiah. That these things were going to take place. But before that could happen. There had to be a confession of sin. So Daniel in the ninth chapter. The Bible says in beginning with verse 1, the first year of Darius. Now remember, Darius, um, we're talking about the leader at this time of the seed of the Medes, which has conquered Babylon. The Bible says, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, we know Jeremiah prophesied that, so keep your place in Daniel 9. and Let's go to Jeremiah. Get the verse for you, so you can turn there in the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. We see the prophecy that Daniel is making reference to there in verse Of Jeremiah 29 So we have a prophecy Before the event That God would restore Israel Back to their land So verse 10 of Jeremiah 29 For thus saith the Lord That after 70 years be accomplished At Babylon I will visit you and perform my good word Toward you And causing you to return to this place. So that's the prophecy that Daniel is making reference to, and also Ezra in the first chapter. So, with that prophecy in hand, verse 3, Daniel begins to pray and seek the Lord. He says, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fastings and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant with mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers and to all the people of the land. So on and so forth. Daniel uh, is confessing the sin to God, which will prepare for the restoration. You will notice that Daniel doesn't say they have sinned. He says we have sinned. Now, I don't have any record of Daniel ever sinning against God. But when he makes intercession for the people, he puts himself in that category. He says, we have sinned against the Lord and as a result of that uh, the captivity So, if you go to Ezra chapter 1 then after Daniel has prayed that prayer then God answers that prayer and we see in verse 1 now in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also into writing. So we see Daniel's prayer and then we see the decree uh, given by Cyrus. Now go over to Isaiah 44. And we will see there that Cyrus is called by name approximately 170 years before his birth. Isaiah 44 verse 28 and then it flows over into Isaiah the 45th chapter as well but keeping in mind this prophecy is a prophecy 170 years or so before the fulfillment of it before Cyrus was even born alright are you looking at it Isaiah forty-four twenty-eight. that said Cyrus he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure Again, he calls him by name over 150 years before he's even born. So we have his name is given Cyrus. He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. So before the destruction of Jerusalem and before the destruction of the temple even took place, God had already put a prophecy in the mouth of Isaiah that God would restore the people back to the land and that Cyrus would be the king that would give the decree that would allow them to go back home and rebuild their city and their temple. So 170 years later, we see in Ezra chapter 1, we have the fulfillment of that prophecy of Jeremiah at the 70 year captivity and then the prophecy of Isaiah 44. So now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. Okay? So we see the fulfillment of the word of God, the prophecy that God has given and it teaches us that God fulfills his promises to his people. Amen. Alright time, 539, 538 BC is when he conquered I say he, Cyrus conquered Babylon. 536 or so is when the people go back and rebuild the temple so it's a little bit challenging to get the chronology exactly right 538 to 537 is when the decree is given. Around 538, 539, 538 is when Babylon fell. So we see in the first year, verse 1, we're not talking about the first year of his reign as a king of Persia. Okay, look at the first sentence of the verse. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. All right, so that's not talking about the first year of his reign in Persia. He had reigned approximately 20 years already in Persia. We're talking about when it says the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. We're talking about the first year after he conquered Babylon. Okay. So he's conquered Babylon at this time. Uh, The scripture says that the word of the Lord. So again, the emphasis is on the word of the Lord in Ezra. By the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also into writing. So we have the fulfillment of the prophecy and the promises of God, that God keeps his word to his people, that he is faithful. So they were in a 70-year exile, 70 years of darkness. Even though the prophecy was given, there were times when they did not believe that they would ever see Jerusalem again. But God keeps his word and keeps his promise. So no matter what your exile or my exile might be, thank God for this word tonight. Because uh, many of us enter into personal exiles. The times of darkness and gloom that we move into. And in those times, all that you can do and all that I can do is hold on to the word of God and the promises of God. Because you look at the circumstances of the situation around you and, and you don't see any possible way that it can change. And uh, so at that time, you've just got to hold on to the Word of God. I mean, that that's all I know to tell you tonight. Is that, That's all you got sometimes. When, and you're going to have personal exiles. You're going to have times when you are in darkness and in gloom. But you hold on to the Word of God in those times. You hold on to the promises of God and know that He keeps His promise, that He is faithful uh, to His covenant. But I, I tonight do not believe that you or I really um, need to be encouraged in the, the idea that we need to uh, hold on to the Word of God. Or that I need to tell you that God is faithful. We know that God is faithful. And we know that God keeps His promises. And we know that His Word will come to pass. I think all of us believe that. I think the problem that we run into is our own exiles and the exile that we put ourselves in because of sin and we're in exile, not because it just happened that way. We come into exiles and personal dark times and gloom in our life because of the sin that's in our life. And that is why Daniel prayed. God had given a prophecy that after 70 years that they would return back to their homeland, and build their city. But notice what Daniel did. He prayed about what caused the exile, what caused the problem to begin with, what caused them to be taken into captivity, what caused the destruction of Jerusalem and the burning of the temple of the Lord, what caused the mess to begin with. Uh, Daniel recognized that it was the sin of the people of God. He put himself in that category. So before there ever be a restoration in my life or your life to be brought out of personal exiles or darkness and gloom, there must be a time when we go before God like Daniel did and we pray. Say pray. Pray. It's extremely important that we pray. And and I'm just going to be honest with you, you know, Oftentimes I'm beating my head against the wall in the prayer room because I know how important it is to pray. And uh, I'm not judging you and I'm not self-righteous, but I look up, I don't see some of you in the prayer room. And I don't know what you're doing. I'm sure you've got good reasons for not being here, especially on a Wednesday night. Maybe you're working late or whatever. I don't know what the reasons are. Maybe you just got other things to do. But whatever that reason is, there's legitimate reasons and there's not legitimate reasons, right? Right. I can just tell you tonight that we all need prayer. That I need prayer, you need prayer. We all need to talk to God. Because if we're not praying, I'm going to tell you this this it really doesn't matter if this whole place burns to the ground. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It really doesn't matter if there's problems with this place, if we haven't come and got right with God and got our, our lives right with the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's extremely important for us that we pray together before church and that when we pray, if you don't know what to pray for, you just start confessing your sin and you confess the sins of the church before God. And you say, well, I don't know that I've got any sin, Pastor. Everybody's come short of the glory of God. There's, there's nobody in this church tonight, including your pastor, that has not come short of God's glory since we last met Sunday night. And if we don't spend time in prayer and come clean before the Lord and talk to God about the failures in our life, what are we going to do? I mean, we know God's faithful and we know He keeps His promises and and we know He fulfills His word and His prophecy. We know all of that. But my concern is with me. I told my wife just the other day, I said, I'm concerned about me. And I'm not saying that to bring your spirits down. I'm being real with you tonight. I'm concerned about me. I'm concerned about my family. I'm concerned about my children. And that's all I said. I didn't say I was concerned about the church. I said I'm concerned about me and I'm concerned about my family. Because I'm coming short of the glory of God in my life. And that's what bothers me. Because I know my God is faithful. And I know He will always fulfill his promises in his word the problem that I have is sin and the problem you have is sin and I have to believe really and if, if I don't believe this I, we're in trouble and you're in trouble if I don't believe tonight that God can forgive me for present failure do you understand what I'm saying? You know we we have you know, we come to the Kingdom of God, we're living with the Lord, we're all excited about living for God, and we go along and we're doing all right, but then all of a sudden we fell fell God, and we can believe God for forgiveness for our past sin. But what about present sin? The sin of a saint. if If I can't believe God for forgiveness, for present sin, you know where that leaves me? It leaves me with no hope it leaves me without the possibility of going to heaven. It leaves me without the possibility of even being saved. If I can't come to God in prayer and say, Lord, I have come short of your glory, and and if I can't pray like Daniel prayed, the great prophet of God Almighty, who I, as I said, do not see any record of sin in that man's life. But when he prayed, he confessed. He said, we have sinned against you, O Lord. He goes on and he says, To us belong confusion of face. He said, God, you're righteous. He said, but we deserve confusion of face. We deserve everything we get. You know, we, we, we're the ones that created this mess. We're in exile because of what we did, God. And, and Lord, you sending us into captivity. Lord, that was the right thing to do. You did the right thing, God. And Daniel's not accusing God. He's accusing himself. And he's coming for God, and he's sincere, and he's asking God, he's interceding for the people. He's asking for the prophecies to be fulfilled at that time. But he knew they could not be fulfilled until they prayed and asked God to forgive them of their sin. So there's really no need for us to talk about restoration from exile in our own life until we take care of the sin that's in our life. And sometimes it's not necessarily the things that you do, it's just the things you don't do. There's sins of commission and there's sins of omission. You say, well, Pastor, I, I can't think of any sins I've committed, but what about the sins of omission? Sam, even Samuel said this about prayer. When he was alive, Samuel made a statement. He said, I'd sin against God if I didn't pray for you. It's a sin of God, not, a sin against God Almighty not to pray. It's a sin against God Almighty not to serve Him the way we should. You understand? So you're saying, well, you might be thinking tonight, Pastor, I don't have anything to confess to God. I got a lot of things to confess to God. I've got, I've got some things, some sins of omission. I'm not the soul winner I should be. I'm not the prayer warrior I should be. I'm, I'm, I'm being real with you tonight. And so before restoration could take place a man of God by the name of Daniel had to go before the Lord and ask God to forgive them of their sin their disobedience to the word of God just on and on and on Daniel you read Daniel's prayer and you think wow Daniel did you do all that hmm. well he put himself in that because he was interceding for the people now <laughs> When I pray, I'm not just praying for you, the people. I'm praying for the, the sin that's in my life. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so I just, I come short and uh, I need to pray. I need to talk to God. I, I can't make it and you can't make it tonight without praying. And without uh, confessing your sin before the Lord. You know, but we have an answer tonight. That's the good news is that if we'll pray and we'll confess our sin to the Lord, that God will forgive us. Not just past sin, but present sin. And I know nobody here wants to sin. I don't want to sin. You don't want to sin, but we've got some. We have some. And the only way you can deal with it is doing what Daniel did, and that was to pray. And when he got the sin taken care of, You know, it's interesting to me. We're going to see one of the first things that the children of Israel do when they get back to the land is they build an altar so they can sacrifice to God. You know what that says? See, without an an altar, without the ability to bring sacrifice to God, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so the first thing they do is they build an altar because they need to bring some sacrifices to God Where blood can be shed so they can be forgiven for their sin. That's the first thing they do when they get back into the land. Is to build that sacrificial altar. Because they know without it, there's no blood. And with no blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. I thank God tonight that I have an altar. I thank God tonight my altar is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And tonight, before I leave here, I know I'm going to feel a lot better. You know why I'm going to feel a lot better? It's because the sin is going to be dealt with in my life. That's right. I'm going to I'm going to do some confessing. I'm going to put my sin under the blood, sins of omission, commission. Amen. And the word of God's going to cleanse me, and the word of God's going to cleanse you. And when you and I leave here tonight, we're going to leave with a hope. You know? And that hope is. That His blood is still efficacious. See, there's something that we need to understand about the blood. The blood does not just reach back to our past sin. The cross is efficacious. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross is efficacious. What that means is, it's effective now. And if I don't have that understanding, if I don't have that revelation, the blood... And I think it only took care of my sin when I first got in the kingdom. I'm in big trouble. But the good news tonight is the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that He shed is efficacious. It's just as powerful today as it was when He shed it. It's never lost its power. And it wasn't just power for me when I first came into the kingdom. His blood's still powerful powerful tonight. It's effective. It's efficacious now. Amen. Just where you sit, just lift your hands and thank God for the blood right now that is effective in my life and in your life that removes present sin. That the blood is just as powerful tonight as it was when it was shed. Father, I thank You tonight that Your blood bahaki, removes the sin, Lord, out of my life and the sin that is in the people's life. God, the thoughts that we have, the words that we say, the things that we do that grieve Your Spirit on a daily basis, The way we treat one another. God, have mercy upon us. Thank You tonight for an altar, Lord. I come to You. You're my altar. I plead Your blood. And I thank You, Jesus, for the blood that cleanses me now from all sin. In Jesus' name, Amen. Praise the Lord. I thank God for the effective blood of Jesus Christ, the efficacious work of Jesus Christ. It's needed. We need it. John, writing to the church, says if we say we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. But if we confess our sin, and John puts himself in that word, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sin and forgive us all of our iniquities. So that even John recognized that if we say we don't sin, we're making God out a liar. God says we come short of the glory of God. And so John says if we confess our sin when we sin if we confess it the Lord will cleanse us he'll forgive us so we got great men like Daniel we got great men like John Daniel a prophet writing the book of Daniel we got a man named John wrote the book of Revelation these are great prophets of God and they never got to a place in their life where they thought that they, they you know I don't need to pray they never got to a place in their life where they didn't feel like they didn't have to deal with the sin that was in their lives. And, and really, you know, as I said, uh, forgive me, but we believe God's Word. We know He's faithful and we know He's going to keep His promises. I don't doubt that one bit. I believe that 100%. But the problem I have is with me. And the problem you have is with you. And we have to know tonight that there's a way to take care of that. I said there's a way to take care of that. Jesus makes it possible for me tonight. Not just 30 years ago, but tonight. To stand in a right relationship with Him. How how many of you are thankful for the blood? And once we get that taken care of, once we get that, that shortcoming, that coming short of the glory of God, you can be seated. Thank you for standing. Once we get that taken care of, now it's time for restoration. It's time for God to begin to work in our lives by the Spirit, by the Holy Ghost. And to begin to restore those things that we've lost. Hallelujah. And we've lost them because of sin. We've lost them because of sin. There's loss in your life. There's loss in my life. There's darkness. There's gloom. There's personal captivities. And those things have come as a result of our sin, church. When we come to the house of the Lord tonight, we're coming to a hospital. And everybody here needs one. Everybody in this church, we all need a spiritual hospital. You're coming into this church tonight, you need a spiritual hospital. Because you have some captivities in your life. You have some things in your life. I prayed for people honest, to been honest with me recently, I prayed for some people, they said, Pastor, we've got some addictions there a lot. Will you pray for us? And I prayed for one person, new convert, prayed for her. And the uh, next few services, she came walking in total victory. And got a call. She said, would you, would you meet with my husband and myself this evening? I said, yes. When I got there, first thing she said, would you pray for my husband? She said, because when you prayed for me the other night, God delivered me of that of that bondage. And here we talked for a good while. We talked for a good while. And the Spirit of the Lord ministered to that person. And when it was time, time, God's time, He stood and prayed for that man. Let me tell you something. God has the ability to deliver us from our captivities. But you've got to get to a place where you say, "Yeah, I do have a problem." You've got to get to a place where, where when you when you come to church, you're not putting on the mask or. You know, just sitting there, ho-hum, ha-ha. I, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I, I've got so many things that I need to make right with God. I've got so many things that, you know, it just, just has to be dealt with in my life. I just. And I'm, I'm going to come in here and I'll be honest with you. I'm going to stand right in front of you and I'm going to preach just like I am. And I'm going to tell you that I have this need and you've got this need. And that need is to talk to God, to pray, to get your record clean. Now, there's things you're doing in secret, young person, and you think nobody knows about it, but God Almighty knows about it. He knows you're doing it. What are you going to do about it? You're going to keep hiding it, and keep covering it up, hoping Mama don't find out, or Daddy don't find out, or your pastor don't find out. Let me tell you something. God knows it. But tonight, this is your opportunity. You come to the house of God. It's, it's, it's your opportunity to get your pride out of the way. It's your opportunity to get your heart right with God. This is not a religion. You're not a part of a religion. You're a part of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. When we come in here, we got to get real. We do. we got to get real. So before I start talking about you know how faithful God is to, to His Word and how He fulfills His prophecies, etc. and so on and so forth, we've got to deal with what Daniel dealt with before the fulfillment came and that was the sin that caused the problem. We've got to get to the root of the problem, but the answer is the blood of Jesus. The efficacious blood of Jesus Christ. The efficacious work of Calvary that is still as effective tonight as it ever has been. Hebrews says that He as the high priest over your confession. When you stand there and you you confess your sin, He's the high priest over that confession. You say, Lord cleanse me. I've sinned against you with my thoughts, with my words, with my actions. And when you confess that to God, and you don't just sit there and look at me like this is not about you, then God will take that confession and He will make it a reality in your life. And He'll take His blood and He'll wash all of that filth and that sin away. And I thank God for it tonight. So, you can't pay for your own sin. I can't pay for my own sin. I just have to believe by faith. Amen? That the blood of Jesus is just as powerful today as it always has been. And so Daniel prayed that prayer and I I thank you for praying tonight. I thank you tonight for recognizing how important prayer is and, and how important it is to talk to God, and confess your sin. Hallelujah. You know, yes, if I'm not praying, I feel like a sinner. Yes, sir. Yes, because I'm not praying. Yes, sir. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. I, I just feel hopeless and helpless. Yeah. You feel like a sinner lost. You feel like somebody that's in the world. You know why? It's not praying. You start getting in touch with God Almighty. You start confessing some sin, getting some blood applied. You're not going to feel that way. You're going to feel victorious. And now, now you can move out of your personal captivities. Now you can move out of your personal bondages and and your personal gloom and despair and darkness. And you can take the harps that you hung up on the willow trees and begin to sing the songs of Zion again. God will restore your latcher again. And you can be once again as those that dream. But there won't be any restoration and there won't be any rebuilding in my life or your life or, or no songs of Zion if we don't take care of the sin that has created the problems. Say Amen. And you, you know how we are. We love to point the finger at everybody else. And we want to talk about, they got a problem. And, you know, yeah, right, but so do you. And so do I. Thank you, Jesus. How many of y'all want to go on beyond captivity? You want to go beyond exile? Beyond destruction? And burning in a mess. Yes, sir. I mean, these people are coming coming out of captivity. They're exiles, but they're headed back to a mess. Amen. Now, you know, sin's been confessed by Daniel. And God's going to restore them according to His Word. But can I tell you something? When they go back home, they got to deal with the mess in their life. they they got to do some rebuilding. They've got to do some restoring. They've got to take walls that have been burned down to the ground. They've got to go in the valleys and get stones that have been burned. They've got to rebuild gates. Nehemiah will do that in his day. Ezra, they, they will rebuild the temple. They will rebuild Jerusalem. All that has to be done. They've got to travel eight to nine hundred miles in a hot desert before they can ever even begin to rebuild the mess and that's why so many of them, I believe, didn't want to go back. Because they knew when they went back, they're going to see everything burned and destroyed. You know, and only a few poor people living over there in the land, maintaining the land while they've been in captivity for 70 years. You know, I'll be honest with you. I believe that God has ministries that He calls to deal with the mess. To deal with the mess. Say praise the Lord. But I thank God for His blood. Amen. But once you get that Amen. under the blood, once you get that sin under the blood, there's still some things in your life, yeah. some mess, that you got to clean up. You you have to rebuild some things that have been destroyed. Amen? Praise God. And the this power and Spirit of God's going to be there to help you do the mess. To clean up the mess and fix the, the things that have been destroyed and the things that have been burned with fire and... God's power is there to help you do it. But there has to be somebody that's willing to do it. Somebody that's willing to go back and deal with the mess. See, right now, this is a picture for the church of the living God. Because I believe in so many ways the church is in a mess. But thank, thank God. There are people like Ezra and people like Nehemiah and other people that were followers That understood the times and said yes we've confessed our sin the blood of jesus takes care of that sin but we've got to rebuild some things we've got a mess we need to clean up and i mean who wants to travel eight nine hundred miles when you got a nice comfy home in babylon and you're doing pretty well you're prospering who wants to travel 800 900 miles to a mess only those who understood the times, only those who understood that the church was in a mess and that it, it needed to be rebuilt, it needed to be restored hallelujah to the Lamb and when you have to travel eight or 900 miles through a hot desert and you got to deal and you're looking forward to a mess when you get there and the labor and the work it's going to take to clean that whole thing up to make it right, to rebuild it to restore it, amen who wants to deal with that? Who wants to go? Only those who've been stirred inside by the Spirit of the living God. Only those who recognize God is moving me to do this. God has stirring me up. God's put it in my heart to do it. And this is where Cyrus was. Cyrus recognized, even though he's a heathen, a heathen king, who doesn't even believe in the one God of the Bible. Even though His name was prophesied 170 years or so before this time. At Daniel, I believe that Daniel, he prayed that prayer. I believe that he went personally and got the prophet Isaiah in the 44th chapter and verse 28. And he walked up to King Cyrus and he said, Cyrus, you are the king of Persia. You have conquered Babylon, which makes you the greatest ruler in the world. You are the world leader. I believe Daniel went and showed Cyrus the prophecy of Isaiah. It was prophesied 170 years before the event and said, Cyrus, look right here. God said, That you would restore the temple, rebuild the temple, restore the people back to the land. Can you imagine when Cyrus saw that, what he must have thought? Now, he wasn't a true believer. He never became a believer. But Daniel, when Daniel showed him that prophecy in Isaiah 44 and 28, he recognized the God of Jerusalem. How do you know, Pastor, he never became a believer? Because at the same time he conquered Babylon, 538, 539 B.C., there was what was called the the, uh, the Cylinder of Cyrus, which is a depiction of the defeat of Babylon. And in that, there's a statement that's made from Cyrus as he records the event of the destruction of Babylon. He says this. He called upon all the gods... Of all the lands that he resettled. It wasn't just Israelites, it wasn't just Jewish people that he allowed to go home and to rebuild their land, but it was other people as well that he allowed to go back home. And on that Cyrus cylinder, he said about all these other gods. Now we know there's only one God, yes, sir. Yes, sir. but he said, let all those gods of the peoples that have been restored back to their lands. Let those gods pray to Nebo and Baal for my long life." He never became a believer in Jesus Christ or a believer in the one God of the Bible. He just believed that He was one God among many. And that this this one God of Jerusalem, which would be uh, among many in His own mind, could pray to Baal or pray to Nebo for, the long, for his long life. He never became a true believer. But he did come in contact with the one true God of the Bible, I believe, through the prophet Daniel. Now I believe it was Daniel that showed him that prophecy. Amen? Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God said, Cyrus, he's my shepherd. He's my anointed. But I've already taught you in the morning service that anointed doesn't... You can be anointed and be lost. Yes, sir. There's an anointing that comes upon people to fulfill some particular purpose of God in this world, but they're never saved. So God called him his anointed, called him his shepherd and prophesied that he would restore Israel back to the land. But Cyrus never became a believer. A true believer. You understand what I'm saying? But notice what he says. He recognizes the Lord God of heaven. And he also knows that God is the one that's stirring up His Spirit to do this. So in verse 1 it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. And you're going to see the same thing said in verse 5 about the people that are going to go back to the land. Why would they go back to the mess? Why would they want to travel eight to 900 miles and through a hot desert and deal with all of that and then get to that place and, and have to rebuild all the mess that was in the church, if you understand what I'm saying? It was because the Spirit of the Lord stirred them out to do it. That's why they did it. And so many others stayed behind. Only forty to 50,000 people made the journey in the first return under Zerubbabel and Joshua, forty to 50,000 people only. Amen? It's estimated that four to 500,000 people, Jewish people, lived in Babylon. But only about a tenth of them made the trip back. I believe it was God's will for all of them to go back. I believe it was God's will for everyone of them to go back and to rebuild and to restore. I believe that was God's will, but only one-tenth of the people, it's estimated, did that, went back. To build the kingdom of God. And those that did go back. Were stirred by the spirit of the Lord. That's the point. Amen. How many of you believe God keeps his promises? He keeps his promises. But there are steps that we've got to take. Amen. And we have to respond to the stirring of the spirits of God. Cyrus a pagan king. Responded to the stirring of his heart by God. His spirit was stirred in him by the presence of the Lord. Amen. Are y'all hearing me tonight? Do you understand? I'm going to the New Testament of Acts and show you uh, people that were saved. And in fact, you can't be saved except the spirit of God stirred you. The only reason why any of you in this church tonight or, or I would even want to be saved is because God put it in your hearts. You wouldn't even be in this church service tonight if God hadn't put it in your heart, and, and, and I know we have to respond to that. I know that that's our part is to respond to that stirring. But if God doesn't stir you, you're not even going to be a believer. If God doesn't put it inside of you to be here, you won't be here. I'm here tonight because God put it in my heart to be here. He stirred my heart. I'm, I'm preaching to you tonight. Not in my own strength, but because God is stirring me up to do that work. It's something that God does. He did it in a pagan king. He's not limited to the believer. As far as stirring people up, He's stirring people up all over this world right now. The sovereign Lord who is in control of all the nations of the world right now. He's stirring leaders up right now to do things and they don't even recognize it and don't have to recognize that He's the one that's stirring them to make these decisions and to do these things. But He's sovereignly in control of everything that is happening in our world today and the decisions that leaders are making. God is putting in their heart to fulfill His will. He's stirring them up to make these decisions. Are y'all here today? There's a spirit behind that's driving the whole thing. Yes, I know the world is in turmoil, but my God's not in turmoil. Hallelujah. My God is in charge. He's sitting on the throne and He's stirring up pagan kings to fulfill His will. They don't even know that He is stirring them up. They don't even acknowledge Him. But <laughs> so They're like little puppets that He's working with to fulfill His will in this world right now, in this hour. This man, Cyrus, his spirit was stirred by God to do this. It's fulfillment of the Word of God by the mouth of Jeremiah. He said he stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in also in writing, saying, Amen. Say praise the Lord. This is around 538-537 B.C. 536 B.C. is when they made their first return. So the time frame there. But Cyrus, verse 2. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven. Say with me, the Lord God of heaven. God of heaven. Hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. How in the world did he know that? If he is a pagan king, he, he, you understand, he's not a believer. He's not a prophet. You understand? He's a worshiper of Baal, a worshiper of Nebo, and he just puts, you know, the one God of the Bible, calls him basically that name. I I don't want to get into the details of it, but he never became a true believer. How did he know then that God was stirring him up? How did he know that God, the God of heaven, the Lord God of heaven, was telling him or commanded him, gave him a commission to rebuild that temple? How did he know that? Because Daniel, I believe with all my heart, walked up with that prophecy and said, look here, Cyrus, your name was prophesied 170 years before and you're going to fulfill this prophecy. Now, if your name was written in the Bible over 100 years before you were born and and a man of God walked up to you and said, look, here's your name, I think that it would probably get your attention. Even if you never got saved or never become a believer, that would get your attention. The Lord wanted you to do something. Yeah, okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah, right. I'm going to do it. God knows history in advance. That's prophecy. Prophecy is history written in advance. I really personally believe that we're only not in touch with history. We're not in touch with history. We're really not in touch with I'm just, we can we can come to a church service and really not be in touch with what's happening in that service. This thing was written before it ever happened. History written in advance and declared by the only God knows the future. Only God can do that. But the Bible says that Cyrus. Gave him all God, He recognized the God of heaven, the Lord God of heaven, giving him all the kingdoms. I'm in verse 2 of the earth. He had charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Amen. But he never became a true believer in God as far as being saved. But he recognized the sovereignty of God. He said the Lord God of heaven. Now what you need to understand when he says the Lord God of heaven in the history that Cyrus wrote, the records that he wrote, about this very event, he called the Lord God of heaven by the pagan deity's name. Okay? So he mixed the God of Jerusalem into his gods. That's what you need to understand here tonight. But he still recognized by that prophecy that he had a commission, a commandment from God, even though he didn't say it was, you know, Yahweh. He called him by another name. He recognized he was the God in Jerusalem. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? He just labeled him by the name of his own God. All right. I don't know why that's important, but I'm trying to emphasize that to you. Okay. But we know who he is. And Ezra knew who he was. And Daniel knew who he was. That he was the Lord God of heaven, the only true God that there is maker of heaven and earth. Lord, He is Lord God of heaven. The Lord God of heaven is the one that's stirring me up. The Lord God of heaven, even though Cyrus didn't completely understand who that was, he still recognized that he was sovereign, that he was the one who gave him his kingdom. And it was him that gave him the command to do what he was doing. So he's going to write this decree with that knowledge. Say praise the Lord. And he is. The Lord God of heaven. Now, we know who He is. The Lord God of heaven. That's a unique phrase. It's not the first time it's used in the Bible. It's a unique phrase. Lord God of heaven. It's used by Ezra. It's used by Nehemiah. Okay? It's seen in the book of Daniel. Lord God of heaven. Why is He called the Lord God of heaven? Because at this point, the glory of God has departed from Israel. You remember before the captivity? The glory of God had departed from Israel and went into heaven. God was in heaven. God removed the theocracy from the nation of Israel and put them into the times of the Gentiles where Gentiles had dominion and authority. They were under the dominion and authority of Gentile powers. It's called the times of the Gentiles. And God is in heaven. Amen. He's no longer in the earth set between the cherubim. He's no longer ruling in Jerusalem in a theocracy there. He's the Lord God of heaven. He's there. And the gentiles have received power and dominion from him to be in authority in the earth. While he Are you with me? While he's in heaven. That's the way he is today. Who is he? Jesus. But he's the Lord God of heaven because he's gone. He's been received up into heaven today. He's not walking in this earth right now. You can't go to Israel or Jerusalem and find Him sitting on a throne there. He's the Lord God of heaven today because He's in heaven. He rules and reigns through His church, His His body. But He's the Lord God of heaven. Someday He's going to return though. And when He does, He's going to be known as the Lord of all the earth. But right now, He's the Lord God of heaven. Now, I don't want to bore you, but I'm... I just happen to love the Word of God. So I'm just going to preach it. I'm going to teach it to you. And I'm going to let the Spirit of God stir you. If God's Spirit don't stir you, this is not going to mean anything to you anyway. Okay? But to those of you who will allow God to stir you in your heart, and you will allow yourself to respond to that stirring, it'll mean something to you. Okay? Say with me, He's the Lord God of Heaven. Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of heaven. Say with me, the Lord God of heaven. Cyrus is going to say, but he's in Jerusalem. Okay, so anyway, praise the Lord. I just love it, man. Isn't God good? You think about it, the Lord God of heaven. Lord Yahweh. Man, I just love, I love to study the names of God. I love to study the names of God. Yahweh. I did a little bit more study on the word Yahweh. Y'all remember what Yahweh means, right? Yahweh. Anybody remember? The root word of Yahweh is uh, Hayah. Hava. hava. Say Hayah. Or Hava. That's the root of Yahweh. And that means to be. He's the self-existent God. He is I am that I am. He is the eternal God to be. Yahweh, Hava, Haya. Okay, now you can, uh, I have a dictionary at home and I did a little bit of study on that word Yahweh. And uh, it's the new dictionary. It's the third edition. And it talked about that word Yahweh. And it says the root of that word Yahweh is Hava or Haya. Haya. And it means to be. If you study Kyle and Delitz, the commentary by Kyle and Delitz, you will find out all the way through his writings when he talks about Yahweh, he calls him Hava or Haya, which means to be the root of Yahweh. The Jewish Encyclopedia, volume 9, page 161 says, the Jewish writer said about the name Yahweh, it means that he is the living God in contrast to all the false gods of the heathen and because he is the living God he is the source of life and he is the resource for everything so he is Yahweh he is the living God he is to be that means he's whatever you need him to be that's what he is his name speaks of the living God in contrast to the false gods. His name speaks of the I am that I am, the eternal God, the self-existent God, the one that is everything you need Him to be. Hallelujah. The Redeemer. Amen. The covenant God. And He's Elohim. He's the Creator God. Amen. Say praise the Lord. He's the one that created the heavens and the earth. Osiris said, He's the Lord Yahweh, God of heaven, the living God. In contrast to the false gods that he worshiped. He didn't know it though. He claimed they were the living God, but they weren't. The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he had charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Say, praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? God stirred him up to do it. A pagan king, a heathen king. Coming in contact with the true, one true God of the Bible. Although he never totally understood who he was. But he knew that God was the one that commanded him to do this. Got the prophecy in hand. In verse 3, I want you to notice... Cyrus has been stirred by the Lord. He's got a commandment from God. The Bible says he charged me to build him a house. In verse 3, when it comes to the the decree that he writes, 536 B.C., maybe 537 B.C., when he writes the decree, notice he doesn't command everybody to leave. He just gives them permission to. But when, when it comes to himself, He says, it was a command from God that I do this. He recognized that God was stirring him up to do it, but he doesn't command everybody to go. He gives them the permission to return. So in verse 3, Who is there among you of all this people? His God be with him and let him go up. Say, let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. So He's given the people who've been in captivity and bondage for 70 years, He's given them permission to go back home and to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple of the Lord. It's a permission. They can stay if they want to, or they can leave. I believe it's God's will for them to go. But it's by Permission. And then he goes on, he says, well, those people who are going to stay behind, those people who are not going to go up. He said, here's what you can do to help. He said, you can support those that go. You want to stay, but the ones that are going to go to do this, they need some money. They need some, some provision. They need some support. So you know what God does? He provides... For His vision. It's called provision. I don't have time to get into all the details, but He provides for the whole world. Many people got up today, they never recognized, never acknowledged that God is the one who gave them what they need. He's the provider for the whole world. He provides for those that He calls. If He calls you to do something, He's going to provide for that call. There's going to be provision for the vision. Do you understand that? You never have to worry about provision if it's really God's vision. So his provision always comes with his vision. So he's going to provide for these people who are commanded by, or Cyrus commanded, they're going to be allowed to go back. He's going to provide for them in order to fulfill the call. The third thing you need to realize tonight is that everything you need to overcome in life God provides that for you. Everything I need tonight to overcome, God provides that for me. If I need strength in a time of weakness, He provides the strength. If I need encouragement in a time of discouragement, He provides the encouragement. Whatever I need, and I can tell you not just by the Word of God, but by personal experience, whatever I have ever needed in my life, He has always provided it. Not just finances, but when I needed strength, He provided strength. When I needed victory, He provided. Whatever it is, God always provides. Say, He provides for me. He's faithful to do it. And so there were some people, as I said, didn't go back, but they could support the work. Now I can bring practical application to see. I know I'm not called to be a missionary to China. I know I'm not called to be a missionary to Taiwan. I know that without a doubt. Okay? See, so Brother Edmonds is. And, and, and he's equipped to do that, what he does, okay? But I'm not. But you know what I can do? I can support the one that is called to the mission field. Say praise God and so can you. Amen? Amen. Before I left, uh, somebody whose spirit the Lord stirred up, I gave us an offering in order to go. Amen? And this is what they told me. They said, we can't go, so we're going to support you. You can go. We're going to support you, so you can go. Amen? Amen. The Spirit of God stirred them up to do that. But basically, what I just said, they said directly to me, we can't go, you can so we're going to give you some support to go. Hallelujah? Well, thank God it was only for a short period of time because I was ready to get back to... The United States of America as soon as possible. All right. I know I'm not called to be a missionary. Praise the Lord. So we can support brother and sister Edmonds while they're over there, and the church, as God leads us, as God stirs up our spirit to help them with that work, we'll do that. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Now, you want to go over there? You feel called to go over there? Come. Talk with me after church. We'll warn Brother Edmonds before you come. We'll tell him. We'll tell uh, that person's just like me, Brother Edmonds. Oh, Brother Carter. We... But maybe you're called to go to the mission field. If you are, guess what? God will provide. He will provide. You go over there, He'll provide. Wherever you go, God's going to provide for you. Don't forget that. God calls you. may not be to the mission field. He may call call you to start a church. You say, well, I just don't know where I'm going to get the money to do that. I promise you, God don't get up there and write you a big old check and say, here it is. Get going. Unless He stirs somebody up to do that for you, probably. He calls you to do it Then you step out by faith. And as you step out by faith, then the provision starts flowing in. When you first start, you don't have, a, you don't have an idea where it's all going to come from. But God takes care of it because that's the way He is. How many of you God's taken care of you? Provided for you. So Cyrus here is given the permission for them all to go back home. As I says, I believe it's the will of God, because later on you'll see in Esther's day, man, they, they got a possibility of being hung. And that means not by a noose, that means to be impaled. They were in great danger, those that stayed back. Amen. Now I promise you in the day of Esther, it was def- they were definitely out of the will of God. In the day of Esther, they should have been back in Jerusalem. But in this hour, we have some that are permitted to go, and everybody was allowed to go, but those that remain, verse 4, in any place where he sojourned, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods, with beasts, beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Amen. We see here that the provision of God comes from the people of God. He says, you're going to remain, all right, then support those that are going. Hallelujah. And the way God provides is He provides through His people. Listen to me carefully. And we'll get into this probably as we go a little bit further. But giving to the Lord is not a fringe thing that we do. It's not something that we can take or leave. It is a call from God. We are commanded to bring our tithe to the Lord. And it is a, from the Word of God, He tells us to bring our offerings to support the church. So tithes and offerings are not something that's on the fringe of what we do as a people. It's a part of living for God. It's a part of serving the Lord. Amen? Amen? You bring your tithe, you support uh, myself and my family. You don't want to preach, you don't want to pastor, so guess what? I get to do it, and you get to help me do it. You get to help me, you get to equip me. Amen. God's been really good to us. He's really blessed us in, in our lives through his people. This everything that we have as a church is completely paid for. We're debt free. Hallelujah. And we're fixing the Lord willing sell this property. It's already on contract. You know? And it's a pretty substantial amount that we're selling that property for. About four or five times more than what we paid for. it. Some of y'all weren't even here in those days When we were few in number, had to step out in faith for that property. But God said, do it. And we did. And then not long ago, the Lord said, sell it. Guess what? It's on contract. And it's a pretty substantial amount of money if you're buying Whataburger. Amen. Amen what I mean by that, you know, depending on what you're buying, it's a large amount of money. But you start trying to buy real estate just if we want to buy a campground somewhere. Or well, we want to We want to. I don't know what God wants us to do with the money. He had not told me yet. But let's say we, He wants us to buy a campground somewhere where that amount of money we're making, that's not a large amount of money. Amen. We have around $400,000 or so, a little more than that. Wow, that's that's a lot of money. What are we gonna do with that? What's a lot of money if you're buying a hamburger? It's a lot of money. It's not a lot of money if you're buying a campground. It all depends on your perspective, man. Say, praise the Lord. So saying we're rich? <laughs> well, yeah for a hamburger you don't need that much to buy a hamburger you need a lot more maybe God wants to do something even bigger than a hamburger you gotta have to have the money to do it you know what I'm saying but I'm just telling you that that the provision of God is already there it's already there that's because God has led us in the years past told us what to do you know praise the Lord and then told us here recently what to do with the thing once we got it hallelujah if we just listen to the Lord. Amen. We're going to be alright, aren't we? And and I don't know what He wants us to do yet, but once we find out we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Because God always provides for whatever He's calling us to do. Isn't God good to you? He, 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 I don't know if you realize just how good God is to this church, how good God is to you right now. Everything He's given you so that you could serve Him, so that you could have a place to... You know, to grow and and grow His kingdom, you grow and grow His kingdom and everything He's provided for us through the years. Supernatural hand of God Almighty. I've seen, you've seen God do it. I've seen God do it. At times, the Lord spoke to us. He said, You take up, you believe me, for what was it, $50,000? Yeah, $50,000 in 52 days, something like that, 50 something days. Fifty thousand, believe me. God said, "Believe me for fifty thousand dollars." And I think it's 50, 52 days, something like that. And I stood up before the church and said, "God said we're going to we're going to uh, be able to raise fifty thousand dollars in this, you know, a short period of time." We trusted God, and guess what happened? It happened just like God said it would. Amen. To pay off the debt, to pay off the debt. Amen. Amen. We've seen God do these things through the years provide for this church, and I don't want to go reiterate our history, but I want to tell you something. If God were to write the book, and He is today, it's called the book of Acts, of everything that He's done for this church, and for this people, and for this house. What we're reading in the book of Ezra right now, and we're going wow at, God has done that for you. He's done that for me. Hallelujah. But it's ultimately His it's his house it's his church it's his kingdom we're just his servants and I appreciate all of you who've come along after the fact because you get to enjoy all the blessings but you're faithful too you're faithful too you keep it going it's nice to have the thing but you got to keep it going so I thank God for all you who've come along after those facts and you help keep it going so we're all in this together God's good. All right, you don't want to go, so you can support it, he said. Amen. So God's going to provide. In verse 5, the people that are going to go are going to return to that mess and try to restore it and rebuild it. Build the temple of the Lord. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin. And the priests and the Levites. All of them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Notice that. Everybody didn't go. Everybody didn't respond. See, the king, by the commandment of God, by a prophecy from God, the the, the time of the fulfillment of prophecy, is given that decree to allow the people to go to do this. This work of God, but not everybody's responding to it. I'm going to leave it all together. I'm going to leave it with the Lord today. The scripture says He stirred up, God stirred up the fathers of Judah, the chief of the fathers, Benjamin, the priests, the Levites, all of them that the Spirit of God had raised to go up. That's the ones that went. It's the ones that got stirred up by the Spirit of God. Praise the Lord. Anything's happening in this church right now it's because somebody's stirred up by the Spirit of God to do it. I pray that's true. Hopefully you're not just doing it. Hopefully God put it in your heart to do it. Hopefully God stirred you to do it. And then, if God stirs you to do something then you've got to Respond. And not everybody responded. Somebody stayed behind, but they threw money at it. You guys go ahead and go. Here's money. Go. They felt good. They give their money. You know. Walk back in their house in Babylon. Yeah, you go deal with that mess. Here, we we'll give you money. It makes us it feel good to, to give give you money so you can go. They praise the Lord, church. Well, isn't that like so many people in the church? They don't want to do any work, so they just pay somebody. Thank God. Well, hallelujah. Somebody's got to clean up the mess. Somebody's got to cut the shrubs. It's probably not going to be any preachers in this house. Or those who, who told me they're called to preach, probably won't gonna be them. So hallelujah! <laughs> Gotta be some hum, some poor old humble person, whom God has stirred up in their spirit. They'll do it. Maybe maybe you paid somebody to do it for you. you it's all right. You don't have time here. Let me give you ten dollars to do my job at the church. Yeah, brother. Fino wants he like ten dollars. Ten dollars for a day's work. Y'all meet with Fino after church. He go collect. (laughs) I'm just up here talking. I don't. Somebody say praise the Lord. You know what? I got a better idea, man. Just send your wives to do it yeah good idea men don't want to do it just put the women on the back of a lawnmower. dirt flying everywhere their hair, their buns are all I'm talking about the ones on the top of their head you know just that dirt It's going to get done by somebody. So we have only a few. Only a few. About 10%, as I said, was willing to go back. God stirred their spirit. Well, I'm going to ask you the question. Would you want to go back to that mess? Really, before I judge these people that stayed behind... Maybe I shouldn't pass judgment on them because I don't see the people who left and went back to to clean it up. I don't see them judging the people that stayed behind. So maybe I shouldn't put myself in a position of judging the people that stayed behind. Would you have wanted to go back? Travel 800, that wouldn't be an easy thing to do. Travel 800 or 900 miles through a hot desert in the daytime. And then get there and have to start cleaning all that mess up. Till has been burned with fire, the city's been completely destroyed. And you're gonna to have to get in there and would you want, would you have wanted to go back? Think about that. Would I have wanted to go back? And I got a nice, comfortable home. Plenty of money in the bank. My business in Babylon's doing good. You know what I mean? It's such a glorious place. It's a happening place. Babylon's a happening place. A lot of action you want me to leave all this behind and go over there and clean that mess up? That's why the Bible's clear about it. It's those that God stirred their spirits up. See? There, there really wouldn't be any other reason for them to go. They had prophecy. They had the Word of God. But ultimately, when it comes down to making the decision, because somebody was stirred up in the spirit to do it. So I'm not going to judge the one that stayed behind. The ones that went got a big job on their hand. Y'all doing all right? Amen. Say praise the Lord now. Y'all don't get mad at me and stop stop bringing the offerings and stuff and... You're not gonna do that, are you? I mean that's a big that was a big, big step they were taking. To take that on you know it wasn't a small thing they, they they weren't just they weren't asked, you know, just to go to church that day. But Mark, they were asked to leave their homes, leave their their businesses, leave all of this behind that they had built up for 70 years some of them. Leave all that behind to go to a place that's been destroyed. And try to bring it basically up Back up from the ground, God. It's a big, big decision, big challenge. Let the Spirit of the Lord stir tonight. Look at Psalm 25, verse 9. Look what it says about those that are led by this Spirit. Psalm 25, verse 9. Am I boring you tonight? Just talking to you? You know what? I got one sister in the Lord that you're here in the church that feels called to preach, and I just feel it in my spirit. She's sitting there. I'm not like them, Pastor. I work. <laughs> I hear you loud and clear. <laughs> Ooh. not even squirming preachers in here tonight, is there? No? Mm -mm. (laughs) Psalm 25 and 9. You there? You know who went back? Just some humble meat people. Probably the poor. It talks about the cheap. Heads of the fathers, Levites. It talks about Judah, Benjamin, Levites, but they're probably just the humble poor people in the church. Verse nine: The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Those that, those are the ones that are that are that he guides. Those are the one that he teaches his ways. The meek. And it was it was just a bunch of meek people, small number, not even fifty thousand people, but four to five hundred thousand that were willing to get up and go do the work of God there. They rose up, and then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Just just some meek, humble people that God could lead or guide, and God could show them his way. People that had understanding of the times. I really feel in my spirit tonight the Lord is reminding me about who I'm preaching to. In a good way. In a good way. I'll poke at you, a few of you here and there, but I feel the Holy Ghost is telling me remember the kind of people you're preaching to. I'm preaching to some people tonight you are workers. You love God's church. You love His word. You love His work. You're committed. You labor. and You serve. And you pray. And you live. That's the kind of people the Lord is reminding me tonight that I'm preaching to. You're good people. You work hard. And I'm not just saying that out of out of my own mind. I feel that in the Holy Ghost. The Lord reminded me. said, think about the kind of people you're preaching to right now. Dedicated. There's some dedicated people in this church. Hard-working people. Serving the Lord. Faithful all the time. Serving God. Faithful in their giving. Faithful in their serving, Faithful in their work. Just do whatever you can for God you're doing. You know, That's the kind of people I'm preaching to tonight. Receive that. Will you receive that? Because I believe that's the Lord's estimation of this church. You might not be the biggest church in town. You might not have, we might not have the most people in this church. But I'll take this church right here. However many number of you are here tonight. And I'll put you up against anybody in Odessa, Texas. When it comes to living, serving, walking, dedication to God Almighty. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody a pastor in Odessa walked up to me and said, I'll trade, I'll trade, you know, however many you got in your church, I'll trade the same back to you. I'd tell him. You can give your whole church. But I'm not trading my people. I'm not trading. Them. Now, Brother So and so, yeah, we can make a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll pay you. But, you know, I just just uh, believe that the Lord really He appreciates everything you do for Him. Your labors together with God. And He is not, He does not forget your labor of love. Anything you've ever done for God, God has not. I'm telling you, I speak about the Holy Ghost. God has never forgot anything that any of you have ever done in this church. But we still got a lot to do, don't we? We do. Just humble, meek people. Verse 5. That could be guided by the Lord and could be showed His way. Psalm 25 and 9. And that's who you are. I just love you. I thank God for you. I appreciate you. Amen. I'm not gonna put every one of you in in everything because you're not equipped to do that. Amen. Fish swim, rabbits run. You know. Rabbits don't swim and fish don't run. So I gotta be careful about where we put you because you know you're a fish and you can't run or you're a rabbit and you can't swim, and we put you in those environments, well, everybody in the church knows you're going to make a mess of it. It's not that we're mad at you, but we just have to be careful, because if we put you in charge of something, everybody knows. We didn't even have to take a vote. Everybody knows it's going to be a mess. That's why they don't ask me to sing in the choir. And I sit back there sometimes in that pew and I'm waiting for an invitation. And Brother Daniel's the only one that invites me. Amen. But I know if I get up here, I'm going to make a mess up and I'm going to drive everybody out of the church. We talked. I talked to somebody about this the other day. So the reason why I don't get up there and sing is because if I do, everybody in the church is going to leave. Now I know some of you think you can do everything. You can do, it. you can do it all, man. You can sing, you can preach, you can do the books, you can do, you can administrate everything. You, you. But I'm not like that. I'm limited, but I want to do God's work, don't you? Love, tempting Just some humble, meek people. Verse five rose up Judah, Benjamin, Levite's priest (laughs) with with all them whose spirit God had raised up to go to build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem am I boring you? I just want you to know I appreciate you I thank God for you the way you serve God verse 6 and all isn't God good? Yeah. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands. Those that were going to stay strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, goods, and with beasts and with precious things. Beside all that was willingly offered, we so got people that are going to stay behind. But they're going to give the money you know, that was needed. It was needed. The support it was needed, and God provided it. And not only just with the believer. But he used a pagan king named Cyrus to also support the work. So that Cyrus went and got those vessels. Remember Daniel chapter 5? The ruler of Babylon got the holy vessels of God and they drank out of them. And then we have the judgment of God when Babylon fell to the medo Persian Empire. Remember that? Whatever happened to those vessels? They were drinking that, drinking out of, and they defiled the holy vessels of God. That night that Babylon fell. Whatever happened to those vessels? Well, when the Medo-Persian kings invaded and they destroyed Babylon, Cyrus was over them all, sent them. Those Persian kings gathered those holy vessels of the Lord up and kept them safe. According, it was God God did it God made sure that when Babylon fell those holy vessels were gathered by the kings of Persia into a place of safety God saw to it he saw can you imagine that I want you to think about that the sovereignty of God the way God works you got Babylon being destroyed in the middle of the night and the destroyers, the kings of Persia, are gathering the holy vessels of God and putting them in a safe place. God saw to it. That, that is amazing to me. Because when it comes time for the people to return back, to rebuild the city and the temple of the Lord, they're going to need those vessels. The priests of God are going to need those holy vessels to do that service. And so now Cyrus officially returns those vessels back to the priest for the work of the Lord. God saw to it that they would be preserved and not destroyed that night in Daniel chapter 5. Verse 7, so we got a pagan king given to the work of the Lord. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. Isn't that amazing? Why did he do that? Preservation. Well, obviously, you know, they thought, Nebuchadnezzar thought his God conquered the God of Israel. So, I'm going to put those vessels in the temple of God in the house of his God. But now they're being returned. God ultimately is the victor. All these other so-called gods are not living. They're not real anyway. And if it wouldn't, if it hadn't been for God stirring up those kings to invade Jerusalem. Stirring up those kings to take Israel captive. God stirred them up to do it. They couldn't have conquered. And so now when God stirs the uh, heathen king to allow them to go back. He gives them the vessels back. He saw to it for 70 years those vessels were protected. He saw through it, uh, saw to it that when a Babylonian king is going to defile them, he saw to it that when that kingdom fell of Babylon and it was going to be replaced by the Middle Persians, he saw to it those vessels were safe. He had his eye on those vessels. For Seventy years. And through a conquering of Babylon. He had his eyes on those vessels. So Cyrus now officially returns them. Daniel gets to see the answer to his prayer. Daniel 9. He prayed, God forgive him the sin. He sees the answer to his prayer with his decree of Cyrus. And I believe personally that Daniel was the one Who wrote the decree. I believe Daniel was the one that prepared the decree. The the decree of Cyrus. Daniel saw the answer to his prayer. God heard that man's prayer. Asking God to forgive him. Saying God. Prophet Jeremiah said 70 years. We're at that time right now. We're at the time of fulfillment. But, Lord, we've got to get our sins taken care of here so that it can happen. And Daniel gets to see all of this take place. He gets to show Cyrus the prophecy of Isaiah 48, 44, and 28. He gets to show him that prophecy. He gets to show him the prophecy of Jeremiah 29. He gets to show it to him. He gets to draft the decree. The Bible doesn't say Daniel drafted the decree. That's my opinion based on study. Okay, Amen. But how in the world, a pagan kingdom, has he? What do you put in the decree? And so Cyrus officially brings these vessels out. Daniel gets to see all of this coming to pass. Verse eight. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of myth Mithrad, Mithradath, which is interesting to me because we have a sun god here, Mithra, the man, his name is Mithradah, but he is a servant of the sun god, Mithra, and the, the latter part of the word Da means dedicated or to give. So we got a man, Mithradah, who's dedicated to the sun god, He's the one bringing the vessels back to the one true God and presenting them. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? See, what God is doing, he's, he's making all these false gods bow to Him. Every one of them. Even the servants of these false gods are. Amen. So Mithradath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Shesh-bazar. Shesh and this means, his name means um, asking, He's it's a prayer basically for God to protect the sun. But we're, we're talking about a pagan deity here. Now just real quick, this probably, You may may or may not need to know this, but some people think that this was Zerubbabel. Because references made to him in the book of Ezra as being a governor, etc. So on and so forth. He was involved in the building of the temple of the Lord. And so they say, well, this is the Babylonian name of Zerubbabel. I personally don't believe that. I believe he's a totally different person. But anyway, aside from that, uh, we have this man here, the treasures of uh, and he brings these to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah, say so the prince of Judah. and this is the number of them and he gives all he numbers these vessels and then we get to the very end of it, but I'm going to read it to you. This is the number of them, 30 charges of gold, a thousand chargers of silver, nine and twenty nines, 29 nines. Oh. Just these little insignificant things that are important to God. 29 knives. Take an inventory. 30 basins of gold. Silver basins of a second sort. 410. Other vessels, 1,000. And then to sum it all up, all the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. Now, obviously, if you add the numbers before this last verse... It doesn't come to 5,400. But it just specifies certain vessels, the number of certain vessels. But then we get to the end of it, and he says, altogether, 5,400 vessels. Okay. All these did Shesh Bazar bring up with them in the captivity. They were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. So that not only the people of the Lord are involved in the provision of God, but even a pagan king. And we're talking about 5,400 vessels of the Lord. That is and gold and silver. You're talking about huge wealth here. And this is given to the people to go back, to make that 800, 900 mile journey back. And to begin to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple of the Lord, and the altar of God, etc. So on and so forth. Amen. So Lord willing, God willing, next Wednesday we will look at those who travel back because we have it recorded in in Ezra chapter 2 the various peoples that made their journey back with Zerubbabel and Joshua in the first return. Okay? I pray that this has been a blessing to you. Let's stand. Father God, I thank you tonight for your word Lord, take your word by your spirit tonight and apply it to each of our lives. Lord, bringing the challenge you have for each of us individually in serving you. We thank you, Father, that you keep your promises, that you're faithful to your word, that you're able to bring us out of exiles. We thank you for prophecy fulfilled We thank you for providing for us, this church, this people. We thank you for a people who are willing, who've been stirred by your spirit to see a church established in Odessa, souls could be saved and the saints could grow and mature. Everything, Father, that has been put in. You know everything. Inventory someday will be made of everything given, every service done, every motive, every thought, every agony, every suffering, every pain. It has gone into building your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for stirring us up. Lord, if we had known beforehand the price that would have been paid, Father, maybe we would have not been willing to do it. So thank you, God, for not showing us in advance what we would go through to accomplish it. But we thank you, Lord, that you are sovereignly in control of everything. Thank you tonight for cleansing us with your blood. We may leave from this place tonight holy and pure. let us be vessels of honor serving you in your kingdom in your house thank you for my brothers and my sisters in this church their faithfulness in giving their faithfulness in serving their faithfulness in prayer thank you for showing us how to do it in Jesus name we pray amen God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.